Let's pass out the scriptures. We're in 1 John. It's a small, tiny little epistle, which means letter. Epistle means letter towards the back of the uh, New Testament. 1 John. There's 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. We're in 1 John. If you don't have a Bible, raise your hand. These fine fellows will get you one. <clears throat> We're in chapter 2 this morning. Chapter 2. We're going to cover just a handful of verses. I want to take a look at a disease that is plaguing the body of Christ, and there is a remedy. Praise God, you will be healed today. Amen. I need a white suit and a comb over. All right. First John chapter 2, we're going to begin with verse 15. We stand for the reading of the word of the Lord, and then we sit for the word of the teacher. So please stand. The reason why we stand is because Jesus is the Word. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. The Word became flesh, dwelt with man. God spoke His Word and the heavens were created. This is what we're standing in the presence of. The, the Word of God that's sharper than a two-edged sword divides the thoughts and the intents of the heart. And the Bible says God holds all things together by the Word of His power. You're standing in the presence of that Word. This is not a book like any book on the face of the earth. This is the only book in the world where you don't read it. It reads you. And a man or a woman whose Bible is falling apart is a sign that their life usually isn't. So you stay in that book. Amen? First John chapter 2, the Apostle John writing, he's in his 90s, and this is what he says to the church, verse 15. Do not, do not, do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, The pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world is passing away, and the lust of it. But he who does the will of God abides forever. Amen? Let's pray. That'll be our passage. Lord, thank you for your word. And Lord, you promised to lead us into all truth. And I'd ask that you would just minister mightily to your people this morning. We thank you, God, for your faithfulness, and I ask that you just pour your blessing upon this fellowship as we examine our lives through the light of your word, and Lord, to to see if we're in love with this world or if we're in love with you. And so, God, I love that picture that you share with us in Revelation as you declare to the church that you've left your first love, that that's what you had against us. We left our first love. God, I want to return to that, that, that joy of being in love. I pray that you would do that work in us today. And as we come to take communion this morning, that 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 love would be reignited in our heart. And so we ask your blessing now in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Have a seat. John, at 90 years of age, has pretty much gone through everything. And I I, I, I kind of equate him, not that Pastor Marty's in his 90s, but one of the things that, that has influenced me with Pastor Marty is um, uh, he'll come into my office at times and he'll drop off a little trinket on my desk and it'll be a lovely trinket or he'll give me a, a political button. Uh, like I always say, uh, Wendell Wilkie, uh, when I introduce myself, someone will say, I'm so-and-so, I say, oh, I'm Wendell Wilkie. And not, nobody knows that Wendell Wilkie ran against Roosevelt. And so he brought me a Wendell Wilkie button. And I mean, this thing's valuable, you know, and he, he brings me these little trinkets. And, and I said, Marty, these are valuable. And he says, I don't need stuff. I'm not taking any of it with me. I just want to simplify. Uh, we've got boxes. I just want to get rid of them. And he used to collect these things and this thing and these other things. He's just, he's just 
you know, just getting rid of it all. Just purging himself of things. And really, that's what it is. We just, we travel with junk in our life. And we get storage sheds to store the junk. And because and our house is full of the junk, we don't have room, so we go pay somebody to borrow their space to store our junk. And it's just junk. And then we move, and we move all the junk with us. And my mom passed away. I got all her junk. And, uh, and, and, and I, was, I stored it so that I was hoping my daughter would take the junk. She didn't take all the junk, so I'm still stuck with a $235 a month storage shed with junk that I don't need. Anybody want junk? I'll give you the junk. You can have the junk. And then you can pay the money for that. So that's what happens with junk. And... But we have all these trinkets and these things that we just can't live without. And Pastor Marty, uh, you know, you, you go through life <clears throat> and, and you think a really, good, a really good thing to do would be to go visit a, a city dump, a county dump site. And you just you look in the, in the hole where all the dump trucks dump and you just see things that you couldn't live without. You know, oh, I had to have that computer. And you're watching that just roll into the dump site 10 years later, and it's just worthless. I, I had to have this Ronco device, and there it is in the dump. I mean, uh, you go to garage sales. Your People are paying you money to take your junk. That's, that's brilliant. Um, <laughs> and, and, and yet, these are things you couldn't live without. And I, I look at Marty, and it's, it's almost, he's vice president of a, you know, retail clothing company, and he's gone through all that. And he and Gwen, they've traveled, and he just says, I've done all that. And I don't, I don't, it's just, I don't need it. When you're young, you feel like you got to have it. This, if I had this, I'd be happy. If I had this, I'd be happy. If I could get that, I'd be... And after a while, you just realize, and it's fleeting at best. And at, at Marty's age, he just looks at it and he says, I don't need it, and if you're willing to walk around the earth with it, I'd just assume have you carry it. I don't want it anymore. <laughs> Brilliant. Well, John, John's 90, and he gets it. John's 90, and he gets it. You see, the church started with this great joy in the book of Acts. And they, you see that the church exploded. First, the, the scripture says that the Lord added to their numbers daily. And then it says he multiplied. I mean, multiplication, uh, exponentially growing, uh, the church was in the early years. And, and the reason why is because every time you turned around, they were, they were praying. What is praying? Praying is talking to God. Praying is talking to God. They were praying. They were talking to God. It's neat to talk with somebody because you, you build what's called a relationship. It's kind of cool. When you talk with someone, you're having a conversation. How does God speak to us? Through his word. Through his word. We pray to him. He speaks to us. We pray to him. He speaks to us. We talk to him. He talks to us. It's a relationship. You're communicating. It's really kind of delightful. It's how marriages are strengthened. The husband speaks with the wife. The wife speaks with the husband. You spend time together. You go on dates. You just, you, you get rid of the kids. You lock them in the room and you drive away. <clears throat> and you sit down together and you have a conversation that's not interrupted every five minutes. Uh, although now you have cell phones and the kids know how to ruin that. But what you, what you do is you just shut the cell phone off. And, and that's, I remember, I remember the phone would ring in our house when I was young and nobody wanted to answer it because it was interrupting dinner. Now we just get, oh, oh no, it's a text. I got to get on this. This is important because they texted me. So that gives them the right to interrupt this time together. Well, so much for intimacy and communication because the text is coming through and you got to get to it. Okay. So I'm speaking a little bit of my issues. But it's this intimacy, it's this communication that you have. And, and, and the, the early church was communicating with God, and God was communicating with the church, and it was precious. And then they stopped praying. And now John's the last living apostle, and he's watching as the church is losing its first love. And then these, these, uh, 
these Gnostics were coming in and they were messing with the church and they're talking about the deeper life club and they're talking about things you need to do to have a relationship with the Lord. And they're just soiling. It, it, it's almost like they're coming in to, to spoil this relationship. They, they're, they're coming in so that you would fall in love with someone else instead of the Lord. You'd fall in love with the law instead of God. You'd fall in love with, with knowledge instead of God. You'd fall in love, whatever it is, they're trying to steal your heart from the Lord. And John says, time out. I'm out. I'm 90. Let me tell you how you maintain. Uh, he describes himself as the apostle whom Jesus loved. And, and all of John, they call him the apostle of love. And he understands love. And he's describing, he says, let me tell you something. Do not love the world or the things of the world. I mean, that's how he says it to the church. Don't, don't love the world or the things in the world. But John's the same guy who wrote John 3.16. <laughs> God so loved the world. Anybody? Is that baffling? Two different concepts for a world. When John, in John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him would not perish but have everlasting life. When John used the word world, he meant the lost. Have a love for the lost, just like God does. But when he uses the term world here in the Greek, the concept is when he says, do not love the world or the things in the world, he would go on to say in 1 John 5, uh, with this, this picture, he'd said, that, uh, that Satan has the world in the sway of his, of his hand, uh, that the world is in the sway of the wicked one. It's the world system. You see, when Adam and Eve were given uh, authority o- over the earth and they sinned, they basically gave the keys of the car, the keys of the earth to Satan, and now he is the king of this world in a sense. And so he has his world dominions. He has his systems. And, and this system is always to try to divert you from God, try to divert you from God. Now, it comes in a multiple form. You can do socialism or fascism. You can do communism. You can do all kinds of isms to keep you away from God. And the idea is, is there's a government of man and there's a government of God. Uh, I'm not talking about a theocracy, but here in a republic where man is governed by God, a republic, that's the only way a republic can work is when man is governed by God. If not, uh, we lose all form and we lose all of our freedoms because freedom comes by liberty. Liberty is doing what's right. And, 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 and the suicide of a free people is when we take our liberty and equate it to our freedom and we think freedom is, is getting to do whatever we want to do. And then we find ourselves in bondage to sin. Uh, we don't have freedom to do what we want to do. We have freedom to do what's right. When we forget to do what's right because we've removed ourselves from God, then we lose our freedoms and we lose our liberties in that sense. And we become enslaved. And, and that's what they call the titler cycle. Um, and and you, you, you go from, from freedom to apathy, apathy to bondage, bondage, and then it comes back around again. And so here we are, you know, um, um, uh, more, more than 50% of Americans are on some sort of government subsidy. We're, we're in bondage. It's a dependency and then that dependency leads to apathy. Why do I need to work? The government's going to give me a paycheck. And then the people who are working are going, well, why should I be laboring so someone doesn't have to? And then we all just kind of give up because the government's going to take care of it because government's the answer. Well, that's socialism or fascism. And that's a government of the people. And this, this, this man-made government all of a sudden destroys our liberties and destroys our freedoms. And, and laws don't give you freedom. I mean, we're going to be able to legislate into our lives if healthiness if we can just say no one is ever allowed again to have a 32-ounce soda. It doesn't work that way. And so socialism, fascism, all these different isms, it's the idea that, that man is trying to be the sovereign. 
God created government in the Noahic covenant to protect man. We're to honor those in positions of authority. And, and there are certain governments, and regardless of the government, I mean, you, you think about the apostles, they survived under Rome, which was uh, the most oppressive government on the face of the earth, and they survived just fine. And, and what John is saying is, don't love the world or the things in the world. You get caught up too much in the system. The idea is that somehow the system's going to save us. The system isn't going to save us. It isn't. It doesn't matter if it's a democracy or a republic or, uh, or capitalism. It's not going to save you. God will save you. Honor God. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. We start to fall in love with the political process. We fall, start to fall in love with the power. And then all of a sudden, uh, the Bible says, Righteousness exalts a nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. Blessed is a nation whose God is the Lord. When you remove God from the equation and you pursue anything else first, you're in trouble. We're in trouble. And that's what John's saying. Do not love the world or the things in the world. We start getting enamored with the baubles and the trinkets. We got to have these things. We become a consumer society. We want to consume all these things. And all of a sudden, we lose our edge. One of the reasons why we rent and we don't own anything at Calvary Chapel, I do not want to own anything. I don't want to, I don't want to have to feel like I need to protect it or that someone's going to take it. Take it. You can have it. We'll meet in houses. Uh, this, this one politician was saying the only thing the church likes is its tax-exempt status. I'll tell you right now, take it away. I could care less. Keep your tax-exempt status. The, the church is a church. I watch the church flourish in Germany, and they don't have a tax-exempt status. If you're giving for a tax-exempt reason, uh, the, and that's, that's your whole mindset, forget it. We're giving because God commands us to give. He, he commands us to give that tithe. That's this maturity so that we're not possessed by our possessions. And so in this capacity, what John is saying is he don't love the world or the things in the world. And you're going along just fine. But you, you get a little residual income, you, and all of a sudden you like the comfort, and then you lose your edge. And it was Paul who spoke of Epaphroditus in, in, in the book of Philippians. He said, there's something spectacular about this guy. It says that not only is he a brother in the Lord, but he's a fellow worker and he's a soldier. And I like that. You know, brother and sister in the Lord is anyone who professes the name of Christ. And then a fellow worker, as we call a church workday, whoever shows up. And I'll tell you, it dwindles rapidly. It goes from a large percentage down to a little tiny percentage, just tiny, just little bit. People, yeah, I'm here, I'm free, I can help you, but other people don't. Okay, nobody's laughing, let's move on. <laughs> and, then, and then in that category of, of fellow worker, you have soldiers. Soldiers are the ones that understand authority. They understand that God appoints all positions of authority. You can bark at them and say, go do this. And they go, you know, I, don't, I, just, I, I didn't like the way you said that to me. That hurt my feelings. <laughs> You're not a soldier. You're not a soldier. A soldier does what he's told to do and understands that we're at war. And those are, those are people that you want to surround yourself with. That's what makes a lean, mean fighting machine. And I'll tell you what, God is pruning his body. He's pruning his bride, this, this church, so that we are soldiers. He's working that. He's going to take off all the dead wood and the fluff, and he's, he's, going, to, he's going to make it solid because we've got a lot of work ahead of us. This is the church's finest hour. But there's, the Apostle Paul, I'll tell you what, he had no time. He had no time for fluff. He was irritated by anyone who abandoned the call. If you weren't a soldier, Paul had very little patience with you. Uh, he began with Barnabas, and, and Paul left being a Pharisee and a Sanhedrin, 
And, and he had given up uh, this, this promising career to follow Christ. And what did he get in exchange? He would have been exceptionally affluent and wealthy, and he gave that up to, to spend time in prison in every city that he went to. He was beaten to an inch of his life. Uh, he, 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 would, he was bloodied. His whole face was deformed. He was left for dead. Everywhere he went, there was either a revival or a riot. And the man was pummeled everywhere he went. His wife left him. He lost everything. He said, if there's no resurrection, I'd be of all men most pitied because of, of the fullness and I've embraced this gospel. My whole life counts. I'm, I've got it all on the line. I live every day as though it were my last. I'm not interested in my retirement. I've given it all up. I got nothing left. I'm all in. And, and Barnabas saw this guy's transformation from being a Pharisee, the persecuted Christians, to being a man on fire for the Lord. You overcome a passion with a greater passion. And the Lord knocked him off his, his high horse and he was serving the Lord. Barnabas saw it. The church was scared of him. This guy is intense. He's like nuclear power. If it's not contained, it kills people. But when it's contained, it lights cities. And he is nuclear power. And Barnabas said, we got to get this guy. And he convinced the church, bring Paul in. He's legitimate. And the church embraced Paul because Barnabas was that bridge. Barnabas was that bridge. I was talking to a brother this week who has a great gift of compassion. He heads up our care ministry. And he was sharing about uh, a fellow that, you know, he's, he's got issues and he's, he's a thorn in my side and I'm frustrated with him and I, I don't like the way he's done things. And right now, unless he repents, he's not welcome here. And he says, well, I'm keeping tabs on him. I said, great, you keep tabs on him. I said, I'm a shepherd, I'm protecting the sheep and that guy's a wolf. But, but my brother, my friend said, you know, but I see a little bit of sheep in him. I said, great, you cultivate that little sheepy side of him and when he's bearing fruit in accordance with repentance, we'll let him back in. But he's, he's the Barnabas. He's going out there. I'm the Paul going, I don't want anything to do with him if he's out there. But this Barnabas, this, this guy with this caring heart, this compassion is out there loving on him and cultivating that. That was a Barnabas. That was a Barnabas. Paul uh, kind of hit a roadblock with Barnabas because Barnabas had a nephew. His name was John Mark. And John Mark, uh, he's, he was a young kid, and he's a go-getter, and he, he says, let's go do this. And Barnabas said, no, let's bring him on this mission trip. And so they went, and, and then they're out there. They got everything on the line, and John Mark goes, this is awful. They don't have any running water, and the pillows are hard. I just, uh, the bed, and there's, oh, the drinking glasses are nasty. I just, I don't want to do this anymore. <laughs> and so John Mark left. I don't know why, he just left. And Paul, Paul just said, I'm done with that kid. I am, I am, I'm, write him off. I, I don't, he's in my rear view mirror. Let's just move on. Forget what's behind. Strive for what is ahead. That, that kid's, I'm, I'm, I'm finished with him. And Barnabas said, no, let's give him another chance. And, and Paul said, no. Barnabas said, yes. Paul said, no. Then not a small contention arose. One was determined, the other insisted. And they fought over it. It split a friendship. Barnabas went with John Mark and Paul went with Silas. And Paul in his travels came across this fellow. His name was Demas. And Demas was totally different than John Mark. Demas, when he hit the ground, man, that guy was a servant. He was, he was a laborer. That guy put his back into it. Paul was impressed with Demas. And the reason why I share all that is I said, I, I, I want to I diagnose a disease this morning. I want to diagnose a disease this morning in the church. The church, the church is, has a disease called the Demas disease. You see, Demas, unlike John Mark, John Mark didn't begin well. Demas did. And, and, it, and, and it begins in, in Philemon. Paul writes in Philemon at the end of the passage. He says in verse 22 of chapter 1, he says, But meanwhile, also prepare a guest room for me, Paul says, 
For I trust that through your prayers I shall be granted to you. He says, Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, greets you as do Mark, Aristarchus, and Demas, my fellow laborers. He's calling Demas a fellow laborer. He's a fellow laborer. Demas is a fellow laborer. This guy gets it done. But when you go from laborer to soldier, some things can go wrong. And as you're on your walk with the Lord, you're, you get tripped up because you fall in love with some of the things of the world. And, and I'll tell you, um, instead of loving sleep, you become sl- slothful. Instead of seeing sex as a gift in marriage, uh, you, you fall in love with sex, and sex becomes adultery or fornication. Um, you know, it, it, these are these, these pictures that you see. And, and so Demas, Demas begins well as a laborer, but all of a sudden the world gets a hold of him. And you just kind of get a glimpse of it in Colossians chapter 4, verse 14, when Paul writes at the end of it, he says, Luke is a beloved physician, and then also Demas, this guy over here, he greets you also. He doesn't say anything about labor, he just says Demas is here, and he says hi. No adjective to describe him, nothing. It's just Demas, he's saying hi. So uh, Colossians was written after Philemon, so things are not doing too well. Paul's watching him going, well, he started well, but uh, this guy's got issues. And then the last, the last letter Paul ever wrote was called Second Timothy. He'd be dead probably within a month after writing this letter. And at the conclusion of his letter, it's, it's an interesting turn of events. John Mark, who he was tired of, John Mark, who he had written off, and Demas, who had started really well, watch what happens in 2 Timothy. It says in verse, or chapter 4, verse 8, it says, finally, Paul's writing at the end of his letter, he says, finally, there's laid up for me a crown of righteousness. He knows he's dying. He's going to be beheaded. Finally, there's laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. He says to Timothy, be diligent to come to me quickly. And watch what he says, listen. He says, for Demas has forsaken me, having loved this present world. He's departed for Thessalonica, a party city. He went to Chico. (laughs) Creskins went to Galatia, that's Vegas. Titus for Dalmatia. Branson. Um, I don't know. And then he says, only Luke is with me. But watch this. He says, get Mark. Get John Mark and bring him with you for he's useful for me in the ministry. You see, John Mark didn't start well but finished well. He learned because Barnabas took time to develop him and didn't give up on him. Paul didn't have time to develop him, but Barnabas did, and he was invited back into it. But Demas, who began well, all of a sudden just faded because he fell in love. It says, he's forsaken me because he has loved this world. I gotta tell you, I have met a number of folks that began well and somewhere along the lines, you just, they just fell in love with the world. And, and, and that edge of serving the Lord is gone. They, they, they don't go to the Bible studies anymore. They're not in the word. There isn't a joy in worship. They're, they complain a lot. They, 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 become, they become kind of a consumer Christian. They examine the church to see what's in it for them. What does this church have to offer me? When people come to the church and say, what does your church have to offer? I just look at them and go, well, time out. What do you have to offer? If you want to be great in God's kingdom, be a servant of all. Don't come and shop the church. What does the church have to offer? Were you called here? 
this, is, this is a place to serve. Roll up your sleeves. If you see something lacking, get busy. Don't evaluate it by how it blesses your family. Work. We're laborers. We're soldiers. This is, this is what's necessary in the body of Christ. Otherwise, you become a demas. You look at the church and what's in it for me? I, I don't need to do that. I've already put my time in the children's ministry. I'm sorry, where, where's retirement in the Bible? I challenge you to say that to Paul. I did my time in the children's ministry. As Paul's looking at you through a swollen face, it's been kicked through the streets like a soccer ball. Or, or when you get to heaven and you want to complain because you, you, you did children's ministry and no one spelled you and you needed a break and you're going to go and complain and you say, I want to have a quick, and, and God says, well, the complaint department's over here and you get there and there's John the Baptist. He says, you have a complaint as he's holding his head in his hand. And Isaiah, who's been cut asunder, his body's in half, and, and, he's, and he's standing next to himself going, what's your complaint? I mean, really? I, I, I had to do children's ministry. We're soldiers. And this, this, this disease of Demas, Paul says, or excuse me, John says, do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father isn't in him. The church is moved by love. It's moved by love. And what John is saying at 90 years of age is he says, you've left your first love. He wrote that in Revelation on the island of Patmos. The church has left its first love. When I first met Michelle and, and we were engaged to be married, uh, there was this, just this passion. You know, you, you newly newly you know, uh, engaged and so excited. And I remember I was working for, for Unilever and, and, and I, it was the end of the quarter and I had to make my number and I was so busy and her family was going on vacation to New Mexico and, and to the Pecos National Park or whatever in, in the middle of New Mexico. And she said, can you come with me? I said, I can. It's the end of the quarter. I got to get my, I got my accounts. I got to finish my numbers. There's no way I can do it. And she was sad. And I, I just, I, I just, when I looked at her like that, I just broke my heart. I just, I love this woman. And she said, are you sure? Blink, blink, blink. <laughs> it's like, and I'm, my mind gears, I'm trying to figure out any way around it. And so they went off to New Mexico, and I'm, I'm trying to get 20 accounts done in a day, and I'm driving like a madman, and I'm, I'm getting the numbers in, and finally I get the last one in, and I'm like, I can make it, I can make it. And I'm in California, it's New Mexico. I'm thinking, I can leave tonight, and I gotta get in the car, and I drive, it's the afternoon, I drive all night, and I don't even know where it is. <laughs> all I have is the phone number she called me from at the payphone at the general store in the Pecos National Park. That's all. That's before the cell phones and GPS and everything else. I opened a map. It said Pecos, little dot. That's all I knew. I get there, and the sun's just rising. I find the general store. I match the phone number to the payphone. Okay, okay, okay. Where is she? <laughs> I'm driving around. I find my, my father-in-law's ugly Lincoln, and I saw that thing. It really was. And uh, two-tone. He thought it was, I didn't like it. Anyways. And I find that thing. And I'm glad it was ugly because it was easy to find. And, and, and there in the front of this 100-year-old cabin was a hammock. And I fell asleep in the hammock. And Michelle woke up in the morning. And he's here. And my heart's soaring. And that's what love does. It was, that wasn't work, man. That drive was fun. That was just joy. I got to do children's ministry. No, no, no. No. 
You get to do it. That's love. And, you, and then over time, 23 years of marriage, there are times where the relationship can wane because you don't spend time talking with each other. That's communicating. We pray, that's talking to God. He speaks to us through his word. That's why the Bible says meditate on his word day and night. You'd be like a tree planted by streams of living water. It produces its fruit in season. Whatever you do will prosper. I would ask you this question for those of you who are married, maybe those of you who understand relationships. Would your marriage be healthy if you spent as much time with your spouse as you do with the Lord? For example, the amount of time you spend in prayer and reading God's word is the equivalent of your communication with the Lord. If you did that amount of what you do with the Lord in your marriage, would, you, would, your mar- would your marriage be healthy? I mean, how often do we crack the Bible? That's like not listening to your spouse speak. That doesn't do much for a marriage. It just does not do much for a marriage. And you wonder why your heart is distant from the Lord. The Bible says faith comes from hearing and hearing from the word of God. He's speaking to your heart. You get tired of your spouse talking to you because you've lost your love. You become hard-hearted. And you become like Demas. You fall in love with somebody else. You fall in love with the world. Your faith is waning. And he says, this is, this is the symptoms of the Demas disease. It destroys your marriage and destroys your relationship with God. You're the bride of Christ. You're to be madly in love. You're to drive to New Mexico, sleep in a hammock, and look for an ugly Lincoln. (laughs) He said, and this this is how you do it. Verse 16, here's how you, you find the symptoms of this Demas disease. There's three things, three symptoms. There's the lust of the flesh. Lust of the flesh. That's just carnality. This idea of flesh, multiple meanings for the word, but in this case, it means our sinful nature inside of us. This idea that, you know, we, we, can, we, we have healthy appetites, and every human being desires food and sex and love and shelter, but those in and of themselves are fine, but when we worship those and we spend too much time, then sex becomes adultery and food becomes, you know, uh, obesity, um, and, 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 and you, you, you go through this idea of, of shelter becomes mansions and, and, and a, an overemphasis on your comfort. Jesus said, foxes have holes, birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Are, are you going to quit because you don't get a pillow? I can't go on the mission field because the hotel rooms are too dirty. Come on, people, we're soldiers. We get to do this. We get to do this. It's not where you are, it's who you're with. I'll tell you what, I would, I would rather be in a dump of a hotel with my wife than in a four-star, five-star palatial mansion with anybody else. It's not where you are, it's who you're with. The greatest times of our life, windowless apartment, we were, this is love. It makes it happen. And, and yet, carnality, this, this lust of the flesh, it becomes a sin when we're overtaken by it. This God-given desire for sex becomes adultery, and all of a sudden, it's that Demas syndrome. And, and the temptation 
It just becomes overwhelming. It was interesting. <clears throat> lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, boastful pride of life. All three of those occurred in, in Matthew chapter 4 when Jesus was in the wilderness. It says in, in Mark 1 that the Spirit of God drove Jesus into the wilderness after his baptism. He gets to the wilderness. He's 40 days without food. Scripture says he was hungry because he was on the verge of death. And it was at that moment that Satan appears to him. He says, you and I both know your God. You and I both know your God, but your father's forsaken you because you're dying. And you and I both know you're dying because those hunger pains are back. You created the human body. And you know that at 40 days, if you don't get food within 24 hours, you're going to be dead. It seems as though the father's forsaken you. And that's when Satan always comes. That's when he comes to tempt you. He comes to you and he goes, you know... If God really loved you, why would he have let that person that you love so much die? If God really, really loves you, why would he allow you to go through such suffering financially? Why would he allow you to have this disease? Satan knows how to play you like a fiddle. And here Jesus was dying and it appeared to an all uh, you know, visible picture that the father had forsaken him he's on the verge of death and at this moment jesus turns as satan says listen here's what you need to do and this is the lust of this is this is what john speaks of the lust of the flesh he says all you got to do you see these stones turn them into bread i gotta tell you when i'm fasting everything looks like food and these stones look like a fresh loaf of baked bread and satan said you're god you can turn them into into bread just do it just do it and at that moment jesus says Man does not live on bread alone, but every word that proceeds from the mouth of God, Matthew 4.4. 4. You know what Jesus was doing? Yes, he was fully God and he was fully man. But what he was saying to you and I is he said, you don't need to be God to beat the devil. You need to be a man submitted to God to beat the devil. Do you understand that? You don't need to be God to beat the devil. You need to be a man submitted to God to beat the devil. And Jesus said, man does not live on bread alone, but every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. It doesn't matter. Yea, though he slay me, yet will I praise him. I, I'm not in charge of the outcome. The circumstances are a little overwhelming, but I trust him that he will work all things together for good with those who love him and are called according to his purpose. I trust God. End of story. And this idea that we, we understand that our purpose in life is not to gratify our cravings, but to do the will of our Father. Not my will, but thy will be done. The second, and that, that's, that's, the, that's the remedy to this symptom of the demon's disease, the lust of the flesh, is just is to say, it is written. It is written. Man does not live on bread alone, but every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. We submit to the will of the Father. The second symptom of the demon's disease is covetousness. This is the lust of the eyes. First, you have the lust of the flesh, but the lust of the eyes. And, and you say, well, how, how can eyes lust? How many people have said this before? Feast your eyes on this. Right? I, I was just up at the lake house, my in-law's lake house. I don't water ski, I don't kneeboard, I don't wakeboard, I don't inner tube. My back, I had surgery, it hurts. It's not worth it to me. So what do I do? It's 105 degrees up there, what do I do? I go and sit in the lake like a hippo. <laughs> and then I come out and I watch the Food Network. And I'm like, oh, oh. feast your eyes. No smells coming out of the TV, but I, I, I can smell it. And I, I'm, you know, and then I make it, I eat it, I'm exhausted, I sleep. I wake up, float in the water. It's awful. But this is the idea, the lust of the eyes, this part of the Demas syndrome, that our desire is to have everything we set our eyes on. I got to have that. Oh, they're, oh, 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 right? 
You got to have it. You got to under, uh, advertisers understand that. They make you. Oh, I, I, I got to have that. I, I got, I got, I got to have it. You know the hair in a can. People bought it. I'm sorry. I just thought that was interesting. I was in San Clemente as a Boy Scout, and San Clemente is owned by the United States Navy, and the, the Navy SEALs use it to do their training. And, uh, and, and the Spaniards introduced, when they found San Clemente Island, they introduced goats on the island. It ruined all the natural fauna, and the environmentalists wanted to restore uh, San Clemente to its natural environment, so they had to remove these goats off the island. They were herding all the goats, and all the goats were in this big pen. And, and Boy Scouts, we hiked up there to see them, and they're just wild goats. There's just endless noise. But one of the tragedies is I noticed four or five of the goats were dead, and they were stuck in the fence hanging from the fence. Yeah, I know. They were delicious. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> no, no, no. But they're, they're, and here's why. Here's what happened. The, the goats were being fed, and, and they were being well cared for, and there was water and food, but they saw the green grass on the other side of the fence. And they're putting their head through the fence. And they're just trying to reach that blade. And the grass. They could, and then and the stretching and the going, coming back and getting everything going further. It would scrape on their neck. Their neck would swell. And then they couldn't get their head out of the thing. And then they would get exhausted and collapse and hang themselves. Hmm. <laughs> Not the sharpest knife in the drawer, if you know what I'm saying. <laughs> but that's, that's you and me. That's you and me. We're just like, <laughs> Somebody got a new Lexus. <laughs> I got to have those new shoes. <laughs> That's the lust of the eyes. And then you argue and you fight and get upset with each other. You know, and we would have had a little argument this week, but my wife, bless her heart, she's, she's sweet. My godfather gave us a little bit of money. He took $1,500 and put it aside when I was born and then gave it to us. And Michelle said, okay, what are we going to do with it? I said, we, that's my, my godfather. <laughs> we? I mean, we. <laughs> and then James says, I'm so bad. I don't even know why you're in this church. Go home. <laughs> James says, you want something, but you don't get it. You kill and you covet you, 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 and you can't have it. You quarrel, you fight. And, you know, there would have been a fight, but Michelle says, you know, that's, you're right. That's, you just keep that. I'm like, oh, man. What do you want, dear? <laughs> She, she's amazing. And the, and, the, and, and the idea is we, we just lust for stuff. And, and God says, let it go. Let it go. It was even in, in Matthew 4 with the, the lust of the eyes that Satan, and when Jesus was in this mode of fasting, and he'd already gone through the first temptation of the lust of the flesh with the stones to bread, he said, listen, 
Here's the lust of the eyes. If you bow down and worship me, I'll give you all of this. You can have every kingdom in the world. It's mine to give because Adam and Eve gave it to me. I'll give it to you. Every kingdom's yours. Just bow down and worship me. Just, just submit to the world system and I'll give you everything. Just submit to the world system and I'll give you everything. Just play by their rules. I'll give you everything. And Jesus looks at Satan. He says, away from me, Satan, for it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve only him. You don't have to be God to beat Satan. You just have to be a man submitted to God to beat Satan. It is written, worship only him. Seek first his kingdom, his righteousness. All these things will be added unto you. You can cure the Demas disease. Just worship the Lord. And then the last one that John speaks of is he says, it's the pride of life. Pride of life. That's cockiness. And this... This pride of life, it consists of two things, boasting about your material possessions or, or boasting about your accomplishments. You, you think you're something special. And Proverbs says in Proverbs 16, 18, pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. I remember when I was the youngest divisional manager for Unilever. I had a company car and I owned a house. I was newly married, expense account. I was Somebody. I was staying in Marriott's and flying first class. And, and that's, if you asked me who I was, I would define myself by all those things. And within eight months, they were all gone. And God said, you want to know who you are? This is who you are. God's in the business of reducing you to a minimum that he might pour in his maximum. He didn't give you a promotion so you can identify yourself as being that person. We're servants no matter what we do. Don't fall in love with the position. Don't fall in love with the possession. Don't think you're special by your accomplishments. I'm a self-made man. No, you aren't. I should say, no, you are not. You didn't make any part of yourself. Well, I built this business with, my, with the hands God fashioned in your mother's womb. And you give honor and glory to him. This idea that Satan would come and say, you're special, Jesus. And it was the last temptation. He says, you're special. You're somebody. I bet you if you went up to the top of the pinnacle of the temple and you threw yourself off, the angels would be required to grab you. And isn't that what Satan says in those trials in life? Nobody deserves to treat you like this. Do, you, do they know who you are? That's one of my favorites. People come into the church. Do you know who I am? Unfortunately, yes. <laughs> you are a gnat on the butt of an elephant is who you are. <laughs> you are a worm. You are... I'll stop. And, and in that moment of pride where you exalt yourself because you're in love with the world and the world system, the love of the Father is not in you. There's no intimacy. You are in love with yourself. You're in love with yourself. <clears throat> and when Satan said that to Jesus, leap from the top of the temple, Jesus responded again, it is written. Remember, he, he, he didn't need to be God to beat Satan. He needed to be a man submitted to God to beat Satan. He said, do not put the Lord your God to the test. Do not put the Lord your God to the test. If we have been blessed with positions or possessions, we must be careful not to put our confidence in them because if you start thinking your 401k is going to keep you happy, you're wrong. 
If money made you happy, Hollywood would be the happiest place on earth. And just pick up the tabloids and you're proved wrong. They're miserable. And John says that this is not of the Father. It's all of the world. And I want to cure you of this disease. The world's passing away in the lust of it. But he who does the will of God abides forever. He who does the will of God abides forever. He who does the will of God abides forever. Jim Elliot said, A man is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain that which he can never lose. The old hymn says, Only one life will soon be passed. Only what is done for Christ will last. And that's what John wants his children to know. The world's passing away. Why are you so in love with it? The more you're in love with the world, the less you're in love with the Father and the Son, and the less you want to serve people. When you're in love with the world, you don't give, you take. And people are stepping stones for you to get what you want, and you use people. But when you have the love of the Father, for God so loved the world that He gave, you are a generous human being. You give of your time and your treasures and your talents. There's no issue with giving. Your heart is surrendered. You'll go to anywhere for the Lord because you get to, not because you have to. His commandments aren't burdensome. Jesus says, if I have, as I have loved you, as I have loved you, so love one another. How much did he love us? He gave his life. He gave it all. And as Paul said, if there be no resurrection, I'd be of all men most pitied. God loves us. He gave us everything. And we can get derailed with the Demas disease when we fall in love with the world by the lust of the eyes and the lust of the flesh and the boastful pride of life. But here's how you beat that. You keep that relationship with the Lord on fire the same way you do with your spouse. You spend time in his word you listen to him and you talk to him. Tell him what's on your heart. He loves to hear from you. Spend time with him. Cultivate that. 23 years of marriage and it only stays hot when you spend time. Lock the kids in the room and spend time with the, your spouse. Same thing with the Lord. Find time to be with him. Find time to be with him. He loves you, he's waiting. And that'll keep you from the Demas disease. Amen? Amen? Let's pray. Fathers, we prepare to take communion. We declare this day that we do not love the world or the things in the world. We, we have, Lord, we have. We find ourselves time and time again being tempted, being pulled away. We know that in our flesh, in us, dwells no good thing. We, we recognize the lust of the flesh. We recognize the lust of the eyes. We recognize the pride of life. And God, we don't want that. We want you. We want to return to our first love, and we want to be madly, passionately in love with you. We don't want to serve because we have to, Lord. We want to serve because we get to. We want to drive to New Mexico. We want to sleep in a hammock. We want to look for an ugly, ugly Lincoln because we love you. We love you, and it is not burdensome. That drive just passed quickly because we're madly in love. 
And Lord, we're going to find ourselves at the end of this life still in love with you and realize all the things we've done because we had the privilege to do it. And Lord, I pray that love would be manifested in this room as we prepare to take communion. Bless your people. Baptize us in your love. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.